0: Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We thank you for this time. We pray your blessings on this time. Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that you would open it up and reveal it to us in a way that we've never seen it before. Father, challenge us, encourage us, bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, before we get started, I see several of you fanning. Is it too warm in here? Yes or no? All right. I got a couple of guesses. Scott, turn the air down for me, will you? Um, before I start, I want to just while everybody's being seated and moving around, put in a plug for growth groups. If you haven't signed up for a growth group, please do that today. It starts in two weeks. We meet on Sunday evenings. It's a great time of food, fellowship, fun and study of the word, and just uh, uh, just have a great time together. So I want to encourage you to meet, sign up for one of these groups. The sign-up sheets are out there on the Welcome Center, so please take advantage of this and sign up, okay? You know, the Bible talks about how the, the fact is that we're in a spiritual battle. And I want to read you this scripture as we begin. It's in Ephesians chapter 6 and it's in verse 12. And this is what Paul says when he's writing to the Ephesian church. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, the heavenly realms basically just means the spirit world. But he says you're not fighting against politicians. You're not fighting against people who are trying to overthrow the country. You're not fighting against people who don't believe. You're not fighting against your next-door neighbor. What you're really fighting against is a spiritual attack. These are just the pawns of that spiritual attack. Now, if you've been looking at this past week or two of TV and the news, you know that our, our nation seems to be just spiraling downward into all kinds of degradation. The political climate, the attack on the church, the attacks on the family traditional values, all of that. We worry about those things. We're concerned about them naturally, but we need to understand that this is spiritual in nature. This is not something that we're has to do with any particular political party or political person or any of that. This is all motivated spiritually from the forces of evil that some of us still to this day have a hard time understanding or even accepting. We as believers struggle with this because we find it hard to believe that a lot of the things that are going on in the world are are spiritually motivated. We look at people, and that seems to be the object of the attack And we don't understand that there's a spiritual force or entity behind this. Everything that we do in life, everything that we do as believers, every ministry involvement or act of service that we're involved in is a spiritual battle. Whether you're teaching, whether you're sharing your faith with your neighbor or just trying to live a positive testimony in a world that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, whether you are feeding the poor, leading a group, working on the school board, running for public office, going to prison ministry, whatever it may be, no matter what you're doing in this world as a Christian, you are about or should be about kingdom work. And when you go out to work in the morning, what you do is kingdom work your witness, your testimony, the things that you say and do. And you need to understand that there is a spiritual entity in this world that does not want that to take place. And so what you and I are fighting is a spiritual battle in nature, and we don't seem to understand that. We sometimes want to attack the individuals, and we sometimes want to deal with the people, and we think that we've got a handle on it. We think we can deal with this and and so forth. And what we do is we run out there ahead of God with our own ideas, our own strategy, if you will, and we think to ourselves, this is, this is going to be good. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to take a stand for God. And I'm going to do the right thing and fight this battle. And we fall flat on our faces. And we don't understand why. We don't understand why. How could that have happened? And what we need to realize is that we fell flat on our faces because we really weren't prepared. You see, it's not about your planning. It's not about your strategy. It's about God's fullness, God's power, and God's direction. And it's easy for us as believers to launch our own attack and to do what we think is right and what God, we think, you know, maybe God would want just from uh, things that have happened in the past, only to find that we have blown it. And we didn't take the opportunity or the time ahead of time to get spiritually prepared. Now this is a bigger problem and a bigger issue in Christianity than we realize, that we are not always going out into the world being spiritually prepared. To face the enemy and to do the the fight the battle that we've been called to fight. Now, the passage that we're going to be looking at today and this story as it takes place in the book of Joshua and the life of this nation of Israel is a perfect example of that. Because before God allows them to go into the land and do what He wants them to do, He takes a time out, so to speak. Let me show you what I mean. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, you'll find that. The Israelites last week, as we look, they crossed over the Jordan River. It was swollen. God stopped the water, brought them through miraculously now. They're on the other side and facing the walls of Jericho. That's probably within sight uh, to, uh, to the armies of Israel, uh, this great fortress called Jericho. Now read, let, follow along with me as I read verse 1. It says, now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all of the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Now, understand what it's saying. They see this. They think that they're safe because the Jordan is flooded at this point in the the year. There's no way they're going to get across any time soon. But when God stops the water and brings them across within a day, it says that they are petrified. Their hearts sink with fear and their courage is gone and they are just ready to give up almost. Now, here's what I want you to see. Military strategy would say that now is the time that you attack. Military strategy would say, look, when your enemy is discouraged and and, um, disorganized and afraid and disillusioned and all of these things, and when your people are pumped and ready to go, now's the time. You see, this was the philosophy of the Nazis in World War II, the Blitz. You storm in as fast as you can and overpower them before they even have time to think or understand what's going on. Country after country fell to Hitler because of that very philosophy. But not with God, because in this particular situation, when strategy would mean that you that you move ahead and, and, and go into battle now, God says, no, we're going to take a time out. And we're going to wait about two and a half weeks, which seems very odd. Two and a half weeks or so, give or take, until you ever pull your sword out of its sheath before you ever draw blood, you're going to wait this period of time. Now, why is that? Because God wanted them to take the time to now become spiritually prepared before you go into this battle. This is a spiritual battle, and I want you to prepare spiritually before you go into it. Now, guys, you you can already see the application and how this works toward us. That before we go into any battle, we too are going to have to be prepared spiritually. And the things that God tells and does with the Israelites at this point in their t- in time is the same thing that he does to you and me. Each and every day, you and I ought to be preparing spiritually to go into battle. And here's how you're going to do it. As we go through this, you're going to see this. Because there are basically three things that God does here with the nation of Israel, which lends itself to application in this way. There are three things that you and I need to do in order to prepare for battle. Let me give them to you right quick because they're just one-word answers, three things that you and I have to do in order to prepare for this fight, and we have to do it each and every day. Now, I've come up with, I don't like acrostics. I don't like having to fit things into it, but this kind of fell naturally to me this week, so I'll put it, put it together. And they all start with R. So three words, three things, they all start with R. Here they are. First one, there needs to be a time of rededication. Before you go into battle, there needs to be a time of rededication where you are recommitting yourself, rededicating yourself to obey the Lord. When you're basically surrendering your rights to do what you want to do, you're saying, God, I commit myself to obey you. I'm going to do it your way, and I will proceed on that basis. Here's the second thing that you're going to see that we talk about today, and that is that there needs to be a time of reconfirmation, reconfirming your faith reconfirming who you are, reconfirming what God has done, acknowledging that again. And this is all through Scripture, that you take the time to continually remember what I've done for you in the past. There needs to be that. And here's the third thing that you need to do, and that is a time of redirection. A time of redirection where you wait for a word from God, where you wait to hear the plan, where you're waiting to hear what it is that God would have you to do. Now that's very simple on paper, but these three words hopefully you'll remember because in the morning when you get up, before you ever go out to launch your day, whatever you're going to do that day, just remember these three things. I need to spend a little bit of time in rededicating myself to obey him. I need to spend a little bit of time reconfirming who I am, just re-acknowledging again what he's done for me and who I am. And I need to wait for a word from God and seek that out because, Lord, I want to know what it is that you want me to do today. How do I proceed at work or school or whatever I endeavor to do? How do I move ahead in doing that? So let's jump in with the first one, rededication. Here's the story as it follows now in verse 2 of Joshua chapter 5. They're ready. The Israelites are ready. The enemy's afraid, and here's what happens. Verse 2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeoth Haraloth. Now what in the world does that mean? Because hadn't they already done this before? Well, you're going to find you can only circumcise someone once. You can't do it again. He's not talking about doing it twice. He's talking about making sure all of them, now are circumcised now what we've talked about this before, but what is the big deal about circumcision? Why go through this? you know I think I've told you before in a Christian magazine leadership magazine I saw this little cartoon one time, and it's Moses standing there and he's looking up at God. he said, "Now let me get this straight." He said, "The Arabs get the oil, and you want us to cut what? I mean think about it. This is a bizarre practice. It seems so odd. But God instituted this all the way back with Abraham. God said to Abraham, this is the sign of the covenant between you and me. I'm going to give you this land and you're going to possess it. It's going to be a land of blessing. But here's the deal. As a sign of our covenant together, every male child that's in your household, whether it be slave or free, it doesn't matter, they're all to be circumcised. And that would be an eternal sign between us. Now, Why that particular practice? Well, just think about it, okay? This is something that would be a daily reminder to every man in Israel of the covenant that he's made with God to be obedient, to follow God, to walk with God and go into the land eventually and take it and God would bless them there. Every time they use the restroom, they're reminded of it. Every time they take a bath, they're reminded of it. Every time they change clothes or are intimate with their spouse, they are reminded of this covenant that God has made with them. And every day they have to acknowledge that I've made a covenant with God to do this and to be obedient. Now what God is doing here is simply this. He's taking a time out. Before you go ahead and face the enemy, before you get involved in this, then he says, then everybody has to do this because before I let you go another step, you're going to rededicate yourself to to obey me. And so this is how the story unfolds, looking at verses 4 through 8. Now this is why he did so. This is why he asked them to be circumcised. He said, all those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land He had solemnly promised to their ancestors to give us, A land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these are the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Now that took about ten days for a male to recover from this. In order for him to go into battle. It took about another week or so as they prepared and they walked or they marched around the city for six days. So you figure before they ever draw a sword, it's two and a half weeks into this before they ever, ever draw blood from anybody. But this is the reason why. The males that came out of Egypt, well, they were all circumcised at some point, either in Egypt or there uh, at the Mount Sinai with Moses. I don't don't have to go back and look. But he's saying after the disobedience, when he said, you know, they went up to, to the southern border of Israel and he was going to take them in and the spies gave a bad report and they chickened out and didn't go in. God said, then you wander around here for the next 38 years till all of you die. All of you male soldiers of uh, soldiering age, fighting age, you die here, but I'll take your children in. Now, you've got to be pay attention here, okay? Because what it's telling you is this, that for 38 years, the practice of circumcision did not take place in the nation of Israel. 38 years they wandered in the desert and God fed them manna and he didn't let their clothes wear out and he took care of them. All he was doing was keeping them alive. It was a miserable life because they were under the judgment of God. This was not a blessed life. Manna from heaven was not a good thing. It was just God sustaining them until they got into the land. And all during that time, they said, well, fine, then if we're not going to go into the land, we're going to die here, then why do we need to be concerned about circumcision or the covenant or obedience or anything else? And that's what happened. They basically died there. Now, in verse 9, here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal until this day. Yogal simply means to roll away. They rolled away their reproach. Now, what does that mean? Well, you think about it. For 40 years now, they've lived in the desert in disobedience. God brings them through the through the uh, river and brings them up to the border of Jericho. And he says, now, we're going to stop here and we're going to get a few things straight. Are you going to obey me or not? Your forefathers didn't. Are you? He said, I want to see it. I want there to be a symbol of your obedience. I want you to recommit to this covenant. And so the males submitted to obedience and were circumcised. And God, after that happened, God said, Now today, the reproach of Egypt has been washed away. In other words, for the last 40 years as you wandered in the desert, Egypt has affected you. Everybody wanted to go back to Egypt. The gods of Egypt have permeated the people. Egypt has been an influence on your life all of this time, but today you are spiritually prepared to go into the land because you have dedicated yourself once again to obey me. And this circumcision for the Jews was a symbol of obedience. It was their way of saying, we submit to you. Egypt is behind us and we are ready to go in. Now, let's think about the application here, okay? All through the New Testament, we're told that as Christians who have been born again, who basically are living in a a position of forgiveness from birth to death, we do not have to pay the penalty for our sin. It has been paid through the blood of Christ. But God uh, uh, repeatedly tells us as believers that we're to have clean hands and clean hearts. They were to live a life of obedience and, and to walk with Him and to, to honor Him. Now, let's apply this now, because here it is God saying to you and me, go into this landless life of abundance, go into this abundant life, like the Jews going into the land. But you need to understand that if you're going to enjoy the abundant life here on this earth that I have for you, the Christian life, then you're going to have to have clean hearts and clean hands. And so often we don't. This is a commitment that we're being asked to make each and every day. That, Lord, as I move forward, I move forward committed to obey you. A fresh start every day. And so every day I come before you and I confess my sins from the previous day. Things that I know have dirtied and soiled my hands and my heart. Things that I know would shame you. Things that I've done that have quenched the spirit of God as he wanted to work in my life. But I quenched him because of that. And I need to deal with my sin. And God says, in this spiritual battle, I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care how much of a a strategy you have or what your plan is. If you are not clean before me, I won't let you go any further. And so God is saying to you and me through this example that, listen, there has to be a time of rededication all the time. Rededication is not something you do at the end of the church service when you walk down an aisle, believe it or not. Rededication is something you do personally between you and God when you recommit yourself to obey. You're saying, basically, God, I failed you yesterday, and here's what I did. Now today, Lord, I commit myself to walk with you. And then you live up to that as best you can with the leadership of God's Spirit. And watch what God does. So the first thing that God is saying to you and me is this issue of rededication. You clean up your act before you move any further in this walk with me. Here's the second thing, and that is reconfirmation. Now let me show you what I mean by this. Joshua chapter 5, we're going to be looking in the next two verses, verses or three verses, 10 through 12. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped. The day after, the day after they ate this food from the land, there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. All right, now watch. God says, are you going to rededicate yourselves to me? Yes, Lord, we'll do it. We'll submit. God says on that very day or the next day, they celebrate Passover. Now you need to understand something here, okay? Okay. One of the requirements for a Jew to celebrate Passover is he had to be circumcised. If they had not been circumcised in the last 40 years, then they had not celebrated Passover. Not only was circumcision an issue of disobedience, but the Passover they had long since forgotten to do. Now, I believe probably some within this several million people did. But the majority didn't, especially these young men who are going to go into battle who had not been circumcised. They didn't. They would not be able, would have been allowed to participate in Passover. Now, what in the world is Passover anyway? Remember when God, the night he pulled them out of or, or led them out of Egypt? And the angel of death is going to come through and kill the firstborn of every family, Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. And God said to his people, you're going to be spared if you put the blood of the lamb over your doors. Then the angel of death will pass over. And he told them after Moses led them out, he said, you recognize and celebrate this from now on. And they didn't. Why is it something that is so important that they celebrate? Because God did not ever want them to remember who they were. He did not ever want them to uh, forget how he had saved them. They didn't do anything to get it. God said, just put the blood over the door, and I'll save you. And they did. God said, don't you ever forget that, because you are mine. And before you go into battle, I want you to understand that a spiritual relationship is taking place here. I bought you. I bought you with the price, the blood of the Lamb. I bought you. You belong to me. If you're going to experience victory in the spiritual battle that I'm sending you into, then you had better not ever forget that you've been bought with a prize. And so they didn't. That day they celebrated Passover. And it was a time of praise. It was a time of reconfirmation. It was a time of remembering once again what God had done for them. They acknowledged it. Now, again, let's move into the application, because here we are as believers. There's a passage in the Bible in Ephesians. It goes with the verse I read you at the beginning of this, where Paul is talking about the armor of God. He goes through the breastplate of righteousness and all of that. One of the items listed in there is the helmet of salvation. You put on, before you go into a spiritual battle, the helmet of salvation. People have wondered about this for years. Is this telling us that we need to get saved again? Some think, well, no, you're saved once, forever. Is he telling us to make sure we're saved? Well, probably not. Then what is it talking about? I think that he's reminding you that you, before you would go into any battle, spiritual battle in this life, you need to remember and be, be assured of the salvation that's already yours. It's, a, it's an issue of assurance. I take the time before I face the enemy to re-acknowledge who I am, what God has done for me. I have been bought with a price, the Bible says, with the precious blood of Christ. That's what I've been bought with. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for my sins. I accept that, and God has bought me. He owns me. And for you and me as Christians to think that we can go into a battle and face it without a clear understanding, of what that is, then we're fooling ourselves because, you know what, we're going to go into battle and we're going to be afraid, we're going to want to give up, it's too hard, it's too much trouble, and we're going to fall by the wayside. And God says, don't you do that. Because here's what happens when you reconfirm your faith. You express to me your gratitude, your love for me, you express to me who you are in Christ. It's not for my benefit, God says it's for yours. Because here's what happens. When you might have given up, you won't. When you might have been afraid, you won't be. When you might have seen your faith dwindle, it won't. Now listen to me. This world is going to get worse and worse and worse. It really is. But as long as I hold on to this reality, this truth, that I have been bought with a price, and that my eternity is secure, my future is assured, then I can face anything. My faith isn't in the politicians. My faith isn't in government. My faith isn't in any other person. My faith is in the Lord Jesus. So, if the world goes to hell in a handbasket, so to speak, and everything crumbles around me, yes, there's the immediate suffering and heartache and and all of that that goes with it, but my faith takes me through it. God is saying to Israel, you're going to go face right now in a few days an enemy that you can't conquer. You can't breach the walls of Jericho. And you're going to be afraid and you're going to be insecure and all of these things and you're going to want to go back. But your faith in me is what's going to take you through. So each and every morning, we as believers should get up. We rededicate ourselves to the Lord that day. Say, Lord, yesterday I blew it. Yesterday I sinned. And here's what I did. And Lord, today I stand here before you and I recommit myself to you to walk with you faithfully today. And Lord, I acknowledge I say it, I believe it, that Lord, you have bought me with a price, I belong to you. And whatever comes, whatever happens to me, whether I am successful or whether I'm a failure, whether I live or whether I die, nothing can change that. And that gives me courage. It gives me courage. And God wanted them to have that courage before they faced this enemy. Here's the third thing in way of spiritual preparation, and that is this. Redirection. Now, I believe that as Israel came through the Jordan River and they're facing Jericho, they're sitting there thinking, hmm, "Now, how are we going to do this? You're going to see here in a moment, I believe Joshua was thinking the same thing. I am the leader of this nation. I've got to figure out a way to conquer Jericho. And then God intervenes and says, no, let me tell you how it's going to happen. Now watch. In chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Watch this. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, this is right on the heels of the circumcision and the Passover. He says, when he was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Now here's what I think is happening. I don't think Joshua recognized him, but I think he had a suspicion. He goes up to him, which is kind of odd anyway. Why would you approach him if you think he's an enemy? But his question is very simple Are you here to harm us or are you here to be with us? What's your, who are you for? Now the answer is kind of odd, but listen to what he says. Verse 14, he says, Neither. Neither, he replied, But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And where have you heard that before? With Moses in the burning bush, remember? Remember? When God spoke to him from the burning bush, what is happening here? Joshua understands that the commander of the Lord's army is the Lord himself. He understands who he is. He falls to the ground to worship him. And God reveals who he is. Now guys, I've told you before, when you see this happen in the Old Testament, this is a pre-incarnate, that means before he became flesh, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Christ was the one who carried out the will of the Father all through history. Christ was the word of God, the verbal expression, the visible sign of the visible appearance of who God was. And so, yeah, here's Jesus Christ standing before him with a sword drawn. He says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now, I'm here to tell you how it's going to be done. Now, I can only imagine, maybe Joshua was already praying. He goes out there at night, one night, the stars in the sky, and he could see the lights from Jericho on the horizon. He's saying, God, this is a, an impregnable city. How are we going to breach these walls? And so he's probably strategizing, and he says, man, this is impossible. And he starts praying, God, please show me what to do. Tell me how to do this. And then this man appears, and this is what takes place. Now, the last passage, here's God's plan and his direction. In Joshua 6, verses 1 through 5, listen to it very carefully. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do it for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Wow. I didn't think of that one, Lord. See, Joshua is a strategist that's probably tried to figure it out, and it can't be done. So God comes in with redirection. God says, okay, listen to me, because here are the instructions, and here's how you do it. The application, very simple. You and I, before we go out into this world to take care of any kind of kingdom business, we have to seek what it is that God would have us to do. Rather than storing the gates of hell on our own, why not wait and see how God would have you do it? Before you try to talk to that individual about the Lord, why don't you ask God to give you the words? Why don't you ask the Lord to give you the opportunity to ask God to open up the door? Before you try to teach that class, why don't you slow down and pray that God would give you those words to say? Yeah, that God would give you the thoughts. That your mind would be filled with what He wants. Why don't you ask God what you need to be doing in life? Some of you seniors need to be, as you prepare to go to college, why aren't you praying and asking God for that? Why aren't you seeking God's direction as you move ahead in life? You belong to Him. You've been bought with a price. Why would God not direct you into this abundant life that He has for you? He will. But it's up to you to seek that. It's up to you to take the time. Every one of us need to be waiting for a word from God before you move out. You need to wait and seek the word from God. There needs to be a time in every one of our lives, be it sometime during the day, where we're praying, we're recommitting ourselves to walk with Him, we're re- Uh, confirming the fact of who we are we're saying Lord I acknowledge that and I thank you for it and there ought to be a time where you and I are seeking and praying for God's direction every one of us see this is what it means to be prepared spiritually before I go anywhere or do anything these are the things that are important to God and therefore necessary for me and I have to do this three things three things before you go out and serve Him to do anything, you need to be doing these three things. First of all, you surrender. You surrender to Him, to obey Him in whatever He says. That's the the rededication part. Surrender. You acknowledge that you belong to Him. It's not that He's forgotten it. It's that, it's that you need to be reminded of it. Not that you don't believe it. It's just that you don't sometimes think that's important to be reminded of and thirdly you need to seek his direction that's how you prepare spiritually if you can get in the habit of doing these things every morning then your day changes it really does because god like the nation of israel brought them into the land no longer in the wilderness no longer eating manna Just for sustenance. Because let me tell you something. When it comes to us as believers, that's where so many of us are. We're still in the wilderness. We're eating manna. We're just getting by. And God says, now there's a place that's better than this that I want to take you into in this world. But this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to be ready. And if you can do that, I'll take you into this abundant life. And I will bless you beyond measure. And the Bible says that that day Israel ate from the land, the promised land. First time ever. No more manna. We're ready to go, Lord. And he took them in. Guys, that's what it's going to take. It really will. If you're here this morning and you never have understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, then let me just take a moment and explain it to you. The Bible says that you are a sinner. I don't care how good you think you are, you're not in the eyes of God. Every one of us are that way. But the Bible says that God loves you so much that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, and He did. And it says that God took every sin that you will ever have committed in your life. From birth to death, God took it all as a package, and He laid it on the sacrifice. And he paid for it. He paid the penalty for it all. And he says to you and me that if you turn to me in faith and trust that, believe that, acknowledge that, then as a free gift, I will give you eternal life. See, that's who we are in Christ. That's who we are. And that's what we stand on. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, then now's the time to do it. Just right there where you sit. I don't have you come forward. I'm not going to ask you to get up. I'm just going to ask you right there where you sit to do business with God. And right there, you acknowledge before God your faith in Christ. You tell Him. Only God knows your heart. It's just that simple. For all the rest of us that are here who are believers in Christ, please understand that this life that you are living now is a spiritual war. It's a battleground. You can't sit on the sidelines. You can't just do nothing. But if you're ever going to win, if you're ever going to be spiritually successful in the abundant life that God has called you to, then you've got to be prepared. And you do that by rededicating yourself to Him each and every day, recommitting, reacknowledging, reconfirming what He's done for you, and seeking His face, His direction. Will you do that? I promise you, on the authority of God's word, that your life will change. It really will. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we are grateful that you have given us the examples in Scripture, like the nation of Israel and the heroes of old. Father, as we study their lives and we see how you've dealt with them, Lord, it it challenges us. And Father, I pray for each one of us, myself included, that Lord, we would always be prepared to face what life brings our way. But not to face it alone, but to face it with you. Bring us into this abundant life. May we understand it. May we experience it. May our lives be blessed in Jesus' name.